Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you that you do go before us in every way. Lord God, that we can't outrun you. Lord, we can't, Lord, miss your glory for us. And we just uh, welcome you now and just ask that, Lord, you'll be with us. Lord, that you will present yourself very really with us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's grab our, our seats. Um, great. If you've got a Bible, uh, if you could turn to uh, John chapter 15. John 15. And uh, it's great to be able to speak just for a few minutes this afternoon. Um, And um, if you read with me from verse 8, a very familiar verse, chapter 15, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. I, I love fruit. Anyone here? Fruit lovers? Yeah, I love fruit uh, in the natural sense, but also I love fruit um, in, in my life. And I think, particularly when we think about being in a, in a broken world, and living, particularly here in the West, where, you know, generally church attendance is not a common thing. I think it's totally normal and appropriate that we would be a people who love to see breakthrough and to see fruit in our lives. I think it's, it's a natural thing. I love what it says. Uh, I think it's in um, Philippians where Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then he says, doesn't he? And if I live, it means fruitful labor for me. There's this incredible biblical picture, I think, that is just everywhere, that God doesn't just want us to be faithful. He wants us to be fruitful. Amen? He wants that for us. He wants that in our lives, um, in our marriages, in our families, uh, in our churches. He wants us to be fruit-bearing. I think, I think that Terry has always modeled that. I think Mike has modeled that in terms of a, a cherishing of fruit, it's wonderful to be uh, within a movement. Within a movement, and I think already there's something like 70 churches or churches and church plants that are hanging from this branch that are connected uh, together, which is kind of breathtaking. Seeing as though really this whole RM thing has really got going in the last few years, we live in a time where we celebrate fruit, where we cherish fruit in churches. If you're a church leader, if you're anything like me. You're always looking to hear about fruit of almost any kind because it's, there's something in it that just speaks of the glory of God. And I, and I think when it says here, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I'm sure you've heard this before, but that's a huge thing to say. It's a huge thing, isn't it? To tie the glory of God with us bearing fruit. I just, I, I never seen that up, actually up until a few months ago that his glory, he's in, he's like, how, how am I going to do it? How am I going to make sure that I'm glorified? I know by making each one of you and the churches that you're part of and the things that you're, to, you're to, that you're involved with wonderfully fruitful. There's this, there's this incredible thing that, that bearing fruit, God wants us to be happy, absolutely, but it's, it's actually even bigger than that. 
It is about him, him being glorified through very weak, fragile, broken men and women. And that's me and you, by the way. It's a wonderful thing. It's glorious. I love it. And um, I love the fact that it's something that we, we, we go for. And if I was to ask you this question, even though it's four o'clock, you can, I'm sure, muster up a bit of a passionate response. Would you love to see more fruit in your lives? Amen, Tom. We want to see more fruit. That's why we're here. I think that the, the idea of fruit has been coming back again and again and again. We want to see more fruit. Some of you are evangelists here, and you yearn to see more fruit in terms of men and women genuinely encountering Jesus Christ. Some of you are prophets here, and you want to see the prophetic released, Mike Bollinger, amen, all across this movement, amen? We want to see it. Some of you are pastor teachers. Some of you are, are evangelists, and, and who have I missed? Pastor teachers... Apostles, sorry, Mike, yeah, and apostles, and you want to see more apostles released in, and the church grow. We want to see fruit, even if you think about the place where you're situated, your, the, the town, the village, the, the city that you're at, we yearn to see it, and, and I think it's right and appropriate that we do that, that we yearn, that we don't settle, that we don't have a kind of small mentality, but here's the twist, which I just want to speak about for a few minutes at the end of this day. The way I I believe the Bible tells us that God ordains us long-term to bear fruit is totally different to how I always imagined it would be. Let me just show you from the Bible why I think that. Verse 2. What are the last two words of verse 2 in your Bible? Last two words of of verse 2. Let's start together. One, two, three. More fruit. Isn't that wonderful? It's just more fruit. So let's back into that verse and see what the secret is to seeing more fruit. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. How, how do we get to see more fruit? Because it's promising it. This is great. This is great. Why are you nervous, Steph? It's, I'm leading into a trap, aren't I? You're like, yeah. Okay, here we go. Every branch. Say every branch. Of mine. I love that. Of mine. Not just a branch. Every branch of mine. That does not bear fruit, he takes away. And, here we go. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Wow. This is really massive, isn't it? This is really, really huge. And I want to say right at the beginning, as I speak for a few minutes about pruning, I am an infant in this. And I really mean that. Many of you here are giants in this. And I just want to thank you ahead of the next few minutes where you humbly receive anything from my mouth. Because seriously, many of you in this room have, have, have experienced what we're talking about today in terms of pruning way, way more than me. And I just thank you that you're not throwing tomatoes at me and saying, get off, you don't know what you're talking about. The way that we individually, in our marriages, with our kids, with our churches... And as a big family together, the way that we, we're going to bear more fruit is by learning the rhythm of pruning. Learning the rhythm of pruning. And I do believe this, that there are many of you in this room today, and right now, you are going through either a subtle or maybe quite an obvious season of pruning. And the joy of the next half an hour or so is going to be this you're suddenly going to have a reference point. 
you're suddenly going to have a reference point for the fact that you are not failing. You are, in God's eyes, flying. You're not in a pit where he has forgotten about you, but actually you are in his promotion path. I want to just show a, a, a little diagram. Anyone here a visual learner? I, I really am. I find these helpful. Um, if we could just skip through a few. There we go. This is not mine. This is from a guy called Mike Breen. And Mike Betts um, talked about this in a meeting a little while ago, and it really, really stuck with me. Um, any of you guys seen this before? A couple. Okay. So Mike Breen, who led a wonderful church in Sheffield, St. Thomas's of Crooks, for many years, and talked a lot about the nature of discipleship. I think, and I, I think someone said the definition of a genius is someone who can make something which is intrinsically complicated very simple. And I think he may well um, be along those lines. He makes the point that we see in Scripture really this twofold kind of state of being. That, in simple terms, it starts like this. You become a Christian. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. That was a bit rubbish. Hallelujah? hallelujah. You become a Christian. You encounter Jesus. You become a disciple. Suddenly, he's real. He really is real. I remember it happening 17 years ago. I'm still excited now. I can't believe it's real. And you start, what the Bible says is abiding. You start drinking from the truth of who he is. It becomes real to you. Your soul starts to become, you know, set alight for the, for the things of Jesus. And what happens is, as you can see, if you just imagine a bit of a pendulum swing, you, over to the right, you'll see that word there, growth. You internally can't help but really grow. As you start to connect with him in your soul, you will start to see growth. Growth in your character, growth in your, your Christ-likeness. You become someone who becomes more like him. And inevitably, because of the promises of God and the goodness of God, you therefore start to bear fruit. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Well, you start to see fruit in your life. And often you don't even quite realize it's happening. You're just like, people start to look at you and go, you've really changed. Do you know that? Those things in your life that weren't great... They're really changing. Your husband, your wife starts to, to genuinely bear testimony that you are a different person. It's an amazing thing. We see this wonderful pattern throughout Scripture that we abide in God internally. We start to see growth in our souls and we start to see uh, victory over perhaps things that held us back. And inevitably, therefore, we start to see fruitfulness. We start to see the gifts that God has put on our lives start to bear fruit. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. And we've been celebrating fruit all, all this day, and we will keep doing that for, till the day we die. It's a very biblical thing. However, what often many of us forget, certainly Tom Shaw forgot or didn't read here, was that there is, there is this next little deal, which the Bible promises, which is as we bear fruit for God, the way that we bear more fruit is that he will, as the great gardener, at some point in our life, prune us. He will prune us, which I'll define in a moment. And we see that as that happens, you can see, almost imagine this, this semicircle representing the rhythms of your Christian life. As you bear fruit and things are going great and you look like you're just, you know, you're really, really someone who, who God is upon inevitably at some point in your life, you will see a pruning that comes to your life. Pruning. And the definition of pruning could be this, from, the, from my dictionary, is when God, or there's a cutting. 
or when something is lopped off, anything that is deemed superfluous or undesirable. Where God allows a wonderful but agonizing often lopping off or a, a chopping down of anything that is deemed superfluous or undesirable. Remember why, and I want to hold that before us as we look at this, that we may bear more fruit. He doesn't do it because he's a mean father. He doesn't do it because he's anything other than beautiful and perfect. He does it because he knows that it's the only way long term we can continue to bear much fruit. So we see this principle throughout scripture uh, in using different language. For example, Hebrews 12 verse 6 talks, says that every son that the father loves, he will discipline. Every son or daughter, he, he will discipline. We see Jesus talking quite, quite repeatedly about this idea of death and resurrection about a seed needing to go into the ground and fully die if it is to bear much fruit. I, um, I think uh, just a few weeks ago I was meditating, uh, I think it's in Philippians where Paul says, um, <laughs> I've learned the secret of contentment. And he says this phrase that you know. He says, I've learned how to abound and I've, I've learned how to, to be brought low. And that second phrase really, really hit me, how to be brought low. Because I don't think I'm very good at that. I don't think I'm very good at that at all. At knowing how to embrace a godly season where he actually, he doesn't cause you to abound. He causes you to be brought low. And yet we see it, don't we? We see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of David and Paul and even in a way, in the life of Jesus. I think it's fair to say at the cross, there was a sense in which he was, he was pruned. There was a sense of profound vulnerability and stripping of, of all the things that he would, in a human sense, long to be adorned with. There was a profound, ultimate example of a man being brought down. Why? So that long-term, he would bear unimaginable fruit unimaginable fruit. And I just want to say this. Um, I think when it comes to pruning, it's very often not because you are or, or I are in a particular place of sin. I think sometimes it can, that can be the case. I have a, good, a very good friend um, who uh, is a church leader within New Frontiers and just in the last few months... Um, he was, he was not in a good place internally. His soul was dying. And therefore, he'd got into um, repeated ongoing sin, secret sin. And he had a dream where God um, revealed himself to him. And he said, if you continue, I will end your life. And this guy's my age. And he woke up and the fear of the Lord was, was very much present in his life in a way he'd never experienced. He went downstairs, repented, uh, woke up his wife in the middle of the night, repented and... Um, and, uh, and he's told, confessed to the church and uh, has now stepped back from the church and um, has resigned and uh, has had to leave the church and they're going to lose their house. However, if you speak to him, he is more ablaze with love for Jesus, more 
intoxicated with the reality of a loving and holy God than ever in his entire life. He feels like, yes, I've had to sell a field, but the, the treasure in his soul now, the, the intimacy and the reality and the faith in his soul that he has got in exchange that has led to this, this purging of his life, he, he's, I wouldn't swap it for anything. Those things, although at one level they're painful, actually at one level they're nothing compared with already the fruit that he's bearing in his life. So, so it can be, pruning can be. God can do it sometimes when there's sin. But I guess what I'm wanting to focus on today is not so much actually that, but much more commonly, I think, when it's, it's not to do, to do with a particular sin. I mean, let's be honest, we're all sinful. We're saints, but we're saints who sin. So, so there's always a sense in which pruning is about sin. There's always a sense in which the wonderful um, side effect, as it were, at least, is that it, it deals with things in our soul that need that kind of intense lopping off that only that can bring about. But very often it isn't, I just want you to know that if this is you today, it's not, I'm not saying therefore you're in some very dramatic state of sin. I think that's not normally what, what this is about at all. But I do believe, I do believe that this is something that so often um, in our lives we are, we're not really ready for. Certainly in, in, my, in my experience, um, it's not something that I was particularly ready for. In fact, even though, Mike, you've effectively discipled me for 15 years, and Mike, in so many different ways, models this kind of lifestyle, doesn't he? I love that about you, Mike. I just want to honor you in that, actually, that you build a culture where it isn't all about kind of performance and, and obvious visible things, but it's about the rhythms of living with God, which is not always measurable in that, in that same way. But I think it's, it's realizing this, is that, when we live, which is what we do, <laughs> because we live in a hugely, the only way I can put it is almost like a linear growth curve culture. You know what I mean by that? that, that it's, you could say a performance culture. It's in all of education. So if you look at any teacher right now, they are living under a crushing sense of expectation, even if they're in a more deprived area, that their performance figures need to be exactly the same as all areas. There's a performance culture in, in business. You know, it made me laugh when, I think it was Tesco's, offered, uh, um, issued a, a profit warning a year or so ago because their profits were down to half a billion pounds. And the year before, there'd been 600 million. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a linear growth curve expectation world that we live in. It's the air we breathe. It's absolutely everywhere. It's in the, it's in the NHS, it's in the police, and it certainly creeps into the church culture. And so if we... If we're living in that, we can often have no reference point, particularly if you feel like you're quite fruitful at that moment, where suddenly you feel like in, in different ways, actually, it's weird. It's, I feel like I'm being lopped off. I feel like things aren't bearing fruit in the same way that they were, either subtly or dramatically. And when we breathe a linear growth curve expectation, we can wrongly diagnose this, and I really mean this, because I'm looking around the room, and I know loads of, loads of you, and as I was praying about this, I was thinking, you've been through this, you're going through this, you've been through this, you're, you're touching this. Just about everyone, in fact, I would, I would say everyone at some point in our life, if you're following Jesus, will experience this. And if we only have a linear growth curve expectation or mindset that things should just do this, we will wrongly diagnose the pruning seasons 
as a profound sense of failure because the fruit isn't there. Because actually God's doing something totally internal. And it's like he almost had to shut down the external because we're, you know, we can't multitask or something. And he just wants us to focus internally, which we'll talk about in a moment. But this is a, a huge thing for us, a huge thing if we live in a, a, a performance culture, a linear growth curve culture, either in church or around us, that when this is happening to us, we can often wrongly diagnose it. And we can think that we're failing when actually we're not failing. We're flying. I remember, I remember a very painful day. Do you remember it, Mike? Probably about two, three years ago. And without going into all of the... Um, I won't bore you with all the details of my drama. Um, and probably Jesus was thinking, oh, Tom, get over it. But at the moment, when it was agony. Two massive things. One, in, one of them was the loss of a huge building project that we'd be going for, a £4 million thing. And the day before, a very, very precious thing to me had been kind of ripped out of my life. All happened within 24 hours. I remember Mike Skyping me, actually through tears. And I remember just saying, Tom, when God deals with a man like he's doing with you, It was actually a strange blend of deep uh, pain you were sharing with me, but also such a a weird kind of excitement that God was doing something that no no other process could prepare me for. And I was just in agony, just so much agony over those things going in my life. And this is really, really huge for us. I had a conversation just with a brother just in the last break who had been in a very excellent New Frontiers church in a different culture. And he was just saying how actually... Many brilliant things about it, but people were burning out and uh, just living beyond emotional limits and etc. all the time. There was a survey done a few years ago by a non-New Frontiers leader. You might have heard this story already. And he interviewed, I think, dozens, if not hundreds, of New Frontiers leaders. And he said, your strengths are many. Faith, vision, family, friendship, connection. Your, your, your obvious, glaring area of concern is what you might call your emotional health your emotional health the the fact that so many ultimately emotionally end up crippled and not actually able to continue walking in a joyful way and i think someone uh who was it i think it was i can't remember his name come back to me someone great said anyway that burnout Burnout is not to do with overwork. Burnout, in his opinion, was when we set ourselves ultimately wrong expectations of what we should a successful life should be like. And what happens is over time, as those things don't start to materialise, classic one is church size. That's a massive one, something I have struggled with massively. Then over time, what happens is you, you feel like you're failing, and therefore, your symptoms are, um, you know, depression, just feeling like you're failing, emotional. Everything becomes huge. Even the smallest thing becomes a huge challenge. And actually, burnout is not to do with overwork, but it's to do with expectations that we set ourselves that we can't, they may not be from God at all, but they're from something around us. And I think a performance culture, a linear growth curve performance culture around us is massive. It isn't biblical. It just isn't biblical. Amen? It isn't biblical. And I really feel like God wants to forcefully just ram that home. There are 
glorious examples where God, in his grace, uses broken, weak, fragile men and women to do this or to do even this. Hallelujah. However, from, from my, my reading of scripture, it seems to be much more like this. You ready? The Tommy growth curve. Oh, pruning. 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 In, in broad terms. And I think unless we understand this, we won't be those that actually see much fruit. We'll be those who wrongly diagnose those different seasons of our life that we don't have a reference reference point for. I think that we have been led magnificently, if I might say, as a people over the last few decades in terms of understanding this. Let me give you an illustration. I remember years ago when Stonely, Stonely was this massive event, um, 30,000 people in its heyday. And uh, you know the story where it's going, but there was a, a moment where, at its heyday, God spoke to Terry, apparently out of the blue, to say, I want you to stop this. And I think many people thought he was crackers. And all he had to do, all, the only reason was, look, God saying, stop this. And everyone was like, this is bearing massive fruit. Why on earth would you, why would you do this? Why would, you, why would this pruning happen? And I think even Terry probably, I think it's fair to say, was a bit confused. But, you know, obviously off the back of it, what God was saying was, go. It's not about ultimately building a big event. It is about church planting to the nations. You remember the go message. And I wish I had the exact stats, but there's something like this. We then, as a movement, there was a sense of grief. There was a sense of a loss of this jewel in our crown, as it were. We haven't got this big, obvious thing. But within a few years... The number of churches had gone from 250 when Stonely was at its peak to well over 700 in the space of something like five or six years. The speed of church planting and fruitfulness actually on the ground through that apparent pruning was absolutely massive. It felt like a kind of pruning. It was a certain kind of pruning, but it actually led to an incredible fruitfulness. I think we have actually been through a similar thing in the last five years. I think, you know, when we've felt that sense of grief at first, you know, New Frontiers is about everyone being together in one enormous room and kind of, hey, high-fiving and knowing each other and all that. And then, and then you know, there's loads of exciting things about going to spheres, but there's also a sense of almost a pruning, isn't there? There's a sense of it feels a bit more fragile. It feels a bit more... Not embryonic, but kind of. You know, it feels like, oh, is this, it feels a bit different, you know, a bit more vulnerable. But then you actually realize when you stand back in the wisdom of God, how he has always, always worked like this. He prunes so that we will ultimately bear infinitely more fruit. I think in a way, and I might be wrong on this, I still submit this to you, Mike. I wonder if there's a slight mini pruning type thing happening even now. When we're thinking, we're going, you know, we've been, there's this branch, which is RM. It's got amazing, all these churches and plants already on it. Beauties, real gems. There they are. But actually, then we think, well, you know, there's a sense in which our dreams are huge. Lord, you've got to supply the money. But maybe, for, maybe there's a little pruning within that. You know, we, we don't know. But all I'm saying is that God gives us, he gives us this rhythm. As a church, um, city church, which I'm part of, uh, we, we have been through undoubtedly this. So three years ago, we were all effectively in one room together. Way, great, all together, know each other, and we're bursting, and all the teams are kind of, well, most of the teams are fairly full, and it's all pretty comfortable. And then God says, 
you're going to three sites. And in the last three years, we've gone from one, one, one meeting one Sunday to three sites, and we've been involved with, together, all of us, in planting three churches, as well as sending dozens and dozens of people over the world. And what that's meant is, although at one level, kind of globally, when you step back, you go, there's so much fruit. When my best man, Kev, when I'm with him in Helsinki, and and I'm seeing him and Lydia genuinely the fruit of God on their lives and they're making disciples and then thinking already we've got so much fruit we're having to think how do we cope with it. I am moved to tears and I think take me to heaven. There's nothing more glorious in life than seeing what you're doing when you do that. But actually if you're in one site at the church it feels pruned. Yeah? It fe- and I think we're learning that this is, this is the way of God. This is the way of God. And just to be very personal for me, I had a sabbatical 18 months ago, and um, I thought it was going to be this kind of heavenly back rub. Well done, Tom. <laughs> you know, seven years, you absolute hero of leading the church. You know, um, it was sheer agony. Um, I went into it ill. I had IBS, um, very, very, very bad, which I'd never had before. Um, I'd preach. Ironically, we're doing a series on emotional health. How ironic is that? I'd preach on it and then sort of stagger back into bed and just about recover for the next one. And anyway, so I went into this sabbatical just so exhausted, so emotionally um, wrung, wrung dry kind of thing inside, thinking this was going to be some amazing heavenly back rub. And actually, God profoundly took me apart. I mean, profoundly in a way... Um, it's taking, it would take me years to process, I think, much of the things he said. It wasn't just like a few bits of the engine. It was every microscopic screw. Um, I had all these plans to kind of network and go to different nice conferences and stuff. And, and, and the fear of the Lord, I mean, in, in a, I wish I had time, more time to remarkably, ter- scarily forbid me to do, to do all of them and to cancel virtually everything. And I, and I learned to hear God. He just basically said, go into a, a quiet place for two months. Uh, not literally, I mean, I, was, I saw my wife in the evenings. But, but during the day, and learn, first of all, let me show you your sin. And that was so painful. I learned to journal. I learned to, it was like, not to be graphic, but the first many days really were like, vo- God was like vomiting up. So much sin in my heart. By the grace of God, not disqualifying sin, but just ugly stuff. Um, Ego, pride, desire for celebrity, uh, so much stuff. But the really huge three that really kind of came through were one, uh, a chronic impatience, chronic. Number two, a huge issue with over-functioning. Not just feeling healthily responsible, but a profound sense of over-responsibility for everything. Um, so actually, I remember, I remember walking down a street in the middle of my sabbatical. And it was one, one of those rare moments where God just, just reveals every, just a very clear thing. And I, I felt him saying, you feel responsible for everything in this world. Um, honestly, it was to do with my, my, my parenting. I love my mum and dad to, to bits. But I grew up in a pretty unstable household where I had to, to grow up very quickly. Um, and uh, and I would carried that into my 
into my adult life. And so I, I, I still, I felt way, really responsible for like every issue in the world, every lonely person in the church. And, event, and right at the end of the kind of line, you know, maybe my, you know, me and my wife and my kids. But it was, it was it, God said, you're, you're feeling so responsible for everyone. You don't have anything left to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And I understood that to mean love God, love your wife, love your kids and yourself, make sure you're doing that and then then start to think about the rest of planet Earth. And, and I know this is basic stuff, but for me it was, it was massive. The third one was a, a deep perfectionism, a really gripping thing, which I still have to really deal with. That was just three out of many that the Lord in his kind way revealed to me. And, um, and so I came out of that time knowing that he was deeply, deeply pruning me, deeply pruning me. Um, and now when I think about so many of my friends who are, yeah, my friends who maybe are involved with church leadership, which is just the sort of circles I tend to move in, nearly all of them, if not all of them, have gone through or, or are going through in different ways, very real pruning. I mean, I've just uh, started to read that book, The Life You Didn't Expect by Andrew and Rachel um, Wilson. And I don't know if you guys have read that, about their kids having autism. That is an amazing book, um, even so far. And and the pruning that God has done through them in terms of um, helping them to understand um, what he has for them. Um, one of my best mates is Joel, Joel Virgo, and, and I remember meeting up with him a year ago and trying to explain a little bit of what God had been doing in my heart. And he said, well, it's actually amazing because in many ways the thing I've been through, honestly, leading a church, has been huge pruning, um, which he, he's had to walk through. Many of you will know wonderful Simon, Holly, um, who right now, God is, you know, he did a wonderful video a week and a half ago trying to explain to the best you can understand what was going on, why God had allowed months and months of kind of just just being him um, after phenomenal fruitfulness. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm trying to offer to many of you here today, if you experience, well, when, no, not if, when. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just wait. <laughs> just keep living. Don't worry about it. it. The Lord will kindly come to you and... Will, will prune you in many areas. So I guess I just want to say the first thing, therefore, is just that every branch he prunes, um, he does it that we may bear fruit. Does that make sense? He, he does it out of kindness. And the rhythm of the Christian life is so different to the rhythm that you and I are being preached at the whole time. Um, and I, can I say this? And I said, I love being part of a, a movement that gets this. This isn't new for us. This isn't, oh, this is radical. Mike, you have led us in this, and we love that, the ease with which we can, we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can mourn with those who mourn. And there's this wonderful mix in our lives of, of the two. So, so what do we do? What do we do? The first thing is to know you're not failing. It's a massive thing, isn't it, to realize um, that you're not failing when God does this to you. And it can, be, it can be very, it's in a whole range of different areas. Mine was quite a dramatic example I've given. Often it's, it can be through maybe as you get older and you're not physically able to do the things you did and you can feel somewhat 
reduced, cut down in your even physical ability to deliver in ways that you've done. Or perhaps you're very gifted organisationally. And you're used, therefore, to through strong organisation to, in a good way, controlling things and bringing a sense of control and organisation. And there can come those moments where God says, yeah, you can try all you want. But do you know what? Actually, that, your, your gift in that sense is, I'm not going to let you have the good feeling that you normally have. Or it might be in terms of popularity. It could be in terms of winning. It could be in terms of finance. You feel really pruned in that. It could be in terms of so many different areas of our life. And, and the question, therefore, is, is what do we do? What do we actually do? And we see here in verse 4, he gives us the answer. Hallelujah. Abide in me. There it is. Should we say that together? One, two, three. Abide in me. One more time. Abide in me. Now, some of you are switching off right now. I prophesy that. Because you know the A word, and you think, oh, abide, yeah, it's kind of, you know, vague, vague kind of gnostic type word. Abide, it's almost tea time. Don't do that. Do not do that. Because otherwise, your pruning will be in vain. That's a scary thought. Why would he say, you're gonna, if you want to bear fruit, you will experience pruning? Just to say as a footnote, I feel like what I'm starting to learn is, I've had this big example in my life, personally. Now what I'm spotting is this weird mix of almost a parallel, simultaneous fruit in some areas of my life, and then pruning in others. It's almost like he, they come somehow starting to work all the time together, which is just another fascinating thing. So what do we do? We abide in him. We remain in him, I think, as it says in the NIV. Why is he saying this? Well, the first point to realize is the reason he is saying this, and this is just to state the obvious, is because it is not automatic. He wouldn't bother writing it otherwise, would he? If pruning automatically meant that it would do the deep work that God wants it to, he would just go, you're going to be pruned, and no matter what happens, it's going to do its work. But it's like in the next breath, he says, it's going to happen, there's going to be these really painful moments if you're going to keep following me. So therefore abide in me. It isn't automatic. Let me tell you what is far more automatic in the life of Tom Shaw. If I feel like he is starting to lop off certain areas in my life that I felt had bad fruit, this is what I tend to do. Abiding is not automatic. For, for Tom Shaw, what I tend to do is this. I tend to cling. So the way I can put it. I cling to the fruit. I will fight against it happening. And I will work harder. I will cling, fight, and I'll work harder. I am much more instinctively um, addicted to, if I can use that word, to activity rather than abiding. Activity rather than abiding. I am much more inclined to focus on fruit than the Father. And the reason is, is because normally you can measure fruit. You can measure fruit much more than what we're talking about now. How do, you, um, how do you measure abiding? It's not, it's not easy to do, is it? I mean, I love what Rick Warren says. 
his wonderful alliteration and his kind of memorable phrases, he's, he talks about um, divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. That's, that's helpful. You know, Jesus, didn't he? Great seasons of fruitfulness and then quickly withdrawing, deeply abiding, deeply abiding. It's helpful. But really what we're talking about, which is why some of you are switching off, is because you're very into measuring stuff. The technical phrase is that materialistic, the things that materially we can measure. That's a huge philosophy of, that, that we have to wage war against. Things that we can measure, that's what we'll give our energies to. And when I say the huge, huge, massive imperative when God starts to prune us, above everything else, is to start to learn really what it is to abide. If that, I only do things that I can measure, Tom, mindset's still in here, you're going to be filtering out what I'm saying. And that's what I'm appealing you to you to say, be aware of it, because it's massive in our culture. It's massive. So when I'm saying abiding, some of you are thinking, oh, that's nice. It isn't nice. It is literally like you will drown if you don't do it. He said, you have, we, we have to urgently learn how to abide, which is much more difficult to measure. Let me put it this way. It is having, it is having permission to be apparently unproductive. It is having permission to do that. I, I don't mind me mentioning this, Steph. I'm going to ask you, don't worry. You won't, you won't mind. But I remember when you were going through, you and Davina. Davina, your wife, was suffering with, uh, a, with, with cancer, and it was really hard. And I, and I remember, I think Mike's mentioned this publicly, so I don't think this is all good. And you just said, <laughs> here we go. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Steph. <laughs> um, I should have asked you. And you just said something to Mike like, this is really hard because I'm obviously therefore having to care for her. Um, this is... This is tearing my soul apart. I love her so much. And I'm looking after the kids. And I'm going to be leading a church plant, a church. And I just don't feel productive, I think, were your words. And Mike said, it isn't about being productive. It is about long-term being fruitful. And I know that sounds like, oh, what's a nice, you know, fruitful is a kind of agricultural word. It's nicer, isn't it, than productive. It's actually just biblical. It's just biblical. And, and I think it... I want to be efficient in all of my life, don't you? I, wanna, I just want everything to be efficient, I want every hour to count. I'm so driven by nature from a not a good place. Actually, because of an orphan thing, to be honest with you, um, which the Lord is gloriously helping me through. But this, this thing of, it's permission to be unproductive. Or let me spin it around, and this is, this is massive. It is realizing that our souls are things. They're actually real. They are, they are actual things in us that need all the attention of the external world that we're used to dealing with. Does that make sense? They are actual things. They, so as I've just begun to take baby steps with living differently so that I'm tending to my soul far more than I ever did, and sometimes, if I'm honest, when I've tried to bring this into different staff contexts, or different people around me, and they're looking at my diary, which is rather different now. It's like what I'm, you're hitting is sometimes is is a is a is a is a wrong view that the real stuff is out here. And what I what I'm realizing is actually it's realizing your soul is 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 a thing. It's you know it's actually real. It's like it desperate. It's needy. It's really needy. It's really fragile. It really can't cope without a lot of glorious attention. 
it needs just as much attention as, as the stuff out there. And it's realizing that this is so key. And the reason this is so key, it's not just because if, if we don't learn to abide when, when pruning comes, it's not just because it will mean that it won't do the work that it, God wants it to. It's actually an issue of the glory of God. So it says here, doesn't it, as I've said, that God wants to bear fruit in us for his glory. And I know that when, when God is pruning me, or when things are not as they should be, very often I am, I am, my glory is far too big a deal in my life than it should be. And it's not, it's not actually practically about the Father's glory anymore. It's about Tom's glory. Do you see that? So when he's talking about pruning, it's, it's, it's because otherwise what happens is, very subtly, most of us, if not all of us, start to allow our own glory far more than his. So very, very specifically, abiding, I think, means that we learn to become a people who know how, whilst life is busy, and will always be busy, we actually learn how to rest. Deeply rest, whilst ongoingly still doing the things that God's called us to. I love the fact, I love it, that when God rescues Israel out of Exodus, or in the book of Exodus, out of Egypt rather, one of the first things he does is he commands them. Say commands. He commands them to have a day off, a Sabbath. Isn't that fascinating? And I read about that, I think it was Eugene Peterson, he said, do you notice that it's like they've been defined by what they do for 400 years? They're slaves. You are, the reason you exist is to get stuff done, which is a picture of the world we live in. You are what you produce. God rescues them so that they can become a people who enter his rest. And therefore, this is, this is amazing. It's like he's, I want you to whether you feel like it or not, to regularly have times, not which are just a day off to get you back to work, but actually a holy time, a holy time, which you get ready for so that you can genuinely, genuinely encounter me. It's like he, wants, it's like he wanted Israel to be known, first and foremost, out of being set free as that stopping people. Oh, you're the crazy, those crazy people over there, who stop every seven days. You're so rooted in the grace of God that God will get stuff done. That you, you're that crazy stopping people. And I thought, that's, that's a glorious, glorious thing that actually he still wants in us. That we are a people who know how to stop. And that it actually is a huge exercise of faith. Unless we know how to stop, unless we know how to do that, we, we, can't, we won't see the things of God. Another interesting fact, which, uh, which I'd never heard until recently, was, you know, the Jewish day, the Jewish day actually starts in the evening. Now, I know we're like, yeah, Tom, well done, finally got that. But for those of you who never got this, let me just explain this, because this is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Right. In our age, we think of the day begins at, what, 6 a.m., whenever your kids get up or you wake up. The day begins, and because we're awake now, I love that. It's so arrogant. The day begins because Tom Shaw's awake. And I'm going to go and change the world. And so we launch off into the day. Whereas actually, when you look in Genesis and the way that God ordered it, 
the day began when the sun goes down. Isn't that amazing? So actually, when you're least productive, think about seven o'clock, something like that, you feel absolutely exhausted. All you want to have a do is just, you know, crash out on the sofa, watch EastEnders or whatever, have a beer and hit the sack. At that exact moment where you feel most weak, most unproductive, most unable to be impressive or do anything at all, that's when God in heaven goes, brilliant, let's start the day. Which means, (laughs) I love this. Which means we then go to bed and then you get up and we wake up and God's, and we, our job is, this, is, is just to wake up and to work out what God's been doing for the last 12 hours and to basically try and join in a little bit and not muck it up too much. That's our job description. Hallelujah. Even time itself, biblically, screams God is in charge and therefore rest. So we don't just need a sabbatical every few years. It's not just even about just having a Sabbath, although that's wonderful. It's even the, the days, biblically, are hardwired to say, I love you so much. However, <laughs> you're very, very limited. I've been busy at work all night with the earthworms and the stars in the sky and over in other countries. I've been very busy at work. You're waking up. Well done. Come on, have a cup of tea. And you've got a few hours left before it's the, you know, it's this glorious reversal that just screams out, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's grace, isn't it? It's grace in time. It's a time expression of the grace of God. And I love that, abiding, abiding, even in terms of how we view everything is about that. I'll never forget the words of uh, Mark Driscoll. Many of you were there, Brighton Leaders Conference a few years ago, and Mark Driscoll had come. Anyone there at the Mark Driscoll? Yeah, many of us. And it was an amazing time. But I remember him saying... There's so much great about you guys, but you're just church planting far too slow. Do you remember that? Um, and I remember us feeling yeah, provoked by it. Oh, yeah, you're probably right, you know. And, and yet, as time has gone on, I think the fact that we may not be, you know, exploding out of the blocks compared with others, but actually over time, as a movement, as, a, as now a movement within a movement, realizing that, you know... Learning the rhythms of God. We can't force church plants. You can't force a baby to be born. You can't force spiritual sons and daughters to be made mature and ready to do it. Well, you can't force that. We're not a machine. We are actually a people or a family. And I love that, that there's this rhythm. It's in God's hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. It frees us to embrace both the fruitfulness. But just listen, God wants us to be a people who can say... Do you know what? I love the fruit. I love it. But I love the Father so much more. I love it that I, I don't actually need the limelight. I don't, if I never preached another sermon, or if I never led another person in any way, shape, or form, I, it doesn't matter. Learning, uh, learning that secret of contentment to be abound, but also to be brought low, to the point where you almost don't want it. You think, I'm actually learning what it is to... To genuinely draw from him in a way that means actually, you know, the pace is God's. It's, it's God's thing. He's the one that does it. He is the one. I love um, what Dallas Willard, um, when he was asked, what's the one word you would use to describe Jesus? You might have heard this before. The one word. D- Dallas Willard, a wonderful uh, guy, a man of God um, from the States. And he said, relaxed. I thought, that's genius. 
the one word he said I would use to describe Jesus. And he said, think about it. Jesus, he was God. He also was a man. He had the weight of the entire salvation of the cosmos on his shoulders. And yet, do you ever see him in a hurry? Do you see him, you know, burnt out? Do you see him overstretched? No, no, you see him doing this, advancing and retreating, advancing and retreating, abiding, abiding. I'm with my father. And there's fruit. It's wonderful. Hosanna, Hosanna. Some of that fruit won't be real. Hosanna. Hosanna. And I just, I guess, as we come into land, I just want to say here, for some of you, we've just got a few, we've got 10 minutes before we're going to finish. I feel in this safe environment that the Lord just wants to just, um, just come and give you permission just to be a little vulnerable today. Um, I hope I've modelled that. I've tried to be as vulnerable as I can because we, none of us are remotely impressive. We are a complete just mess, really. By the grace of God, though, image bearers. This is the thing. When we learn to abide... Jesus becomes really, really, really big again in your soul. Which is really important because then it means you're less ashamed when those areas out here, which once were big, have become small. Does that make sense? So your only hope, when those areas are feeling shrinking, your church plant isn't what you hoped it would be. Your budget is nowhere near what you hoped it would be. Your friendships are not what they hoped it would be. Your health is not what you hoped it would be. Your ability to raise leaders is not at all what you hoped it to be. Your, your ability to raise the church in division is not what you hoped it would be. You get the point. Whatever it is, you'll feel like you're shrinking and secretly ashamed because God's pruning you. This is the deal. When we get close to him, he, he starts to become so huge again, doesn't he? And you start to go, I am a bit embarrassed about that, that area of pruning. But you know what? Because he's so wonderfully big, Actually, I can admit it, and I can embrace it. So should we stand to our feet? I'd love us just to get into little groups, maybe pairs if you're, um, yeah, if you're together with someone. Or, and I just want you just, I think, I, I hope and pray that almost everyone here would in some way go, yeah, I can, I can resonate with some of that. And I'd love it if you just were happy just to share it with that person, to say this is, this is an area where I feel a little pruned <laughs> and um, the Lord's just sort of put his finger on it. And I'd love you to just the other person just to pray for them. You can be in groups more than two, of course, if you want. And just to pray really that, that the Lord would, would be your sufficiency. There isn't like a, you know, a silver bullet here. Abiding is a lifestyle, learning to do it. But what you can do is today you can say, yeah, before the Lord, I don't want to cling to the fruit. I don't want to inflate the numbers. I don't want to find my identity in something that happened a while ago. When the, I want to just embrace, this is, this is where I'm at now. It's okay. I feel very vulnerable, but actually the Lord is enough for me. So let's, let's, let's pray for one another in the last 10 minutes or so, and, and let's believe that he's going to do some real work in our souls all across the room.